Alright, we are continuing Genesis this morning. We're all the way to Genesis chapter 35. Uh, Genesis chapter 35, you'll have to turn there in your Bibles. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, we also have the handout. It's got a brief outline. And the study guide is always available on the information table if you'd like a little more information. Um, but before we get into that, I want to share uh, a pet peeve of mine. I've got uh, two phrases, really, that, that are used similarly that are just a, a big pet peeve of mine. Uh, the first is, is this one, um, doing life. And I know I'm supposed to be the one that's saying that. Like, that's what, that was invented by pastors. Right. But let's just get together, guys. We're going to have a community group. We're just going to do life together. Bro, do life together. Okay, we don't have a word for that. You don't do life, you live it. We have a word for live, and the verb already. We don't need to put do in there. We live. Okay, so you don't ever hear me use that phrase here. Okay, I can't vouch for the other ministries of the church. Not a big thing. They might use it. Could be yes. They could have used yesterday. The women's tea. I don't know. And I apologize if they did. But that's one that I don't like. The other one that I don't like is this is worse. It's way worse. Adulting. It's in a book title. It's in book is a book. It's a Christian book. I've never read it. I don't I can't vouch for it either way. Maybe it's great. But adulting is a as a verb. And you guys have heard of that. Some of you maybe haven't heard of that. Right? That you adult. They made it into a verb, like, oh, we're adulting. It's usually, it's usually used by people in their 20s complaining about having to adult today. I have to adult today. And they mean, like, they need things like pay bills and, like, go to work. Like, things that are just that. You know why there wasn't a work before? Because everyone just assumed we had to do it. That's <laughs> just, just life. Like, that's just living life. Again, this is, like, part of, like, that's just normal life. You should just normally do those things. Um, I bring that up because that's kind of the subject of, uh, of our passage today. It's a lot, covered a lot of ground. There's a lot of different things that happen, but it's just the big things of life, right? It's just big things that happen in life. Um, there is, uh, there's a big move, right? They have a big, they make a big move from one place to another. Uh, that's a big life moment. Uh, there's a big change of heart that happens. There's Facing your fears that's happening here. There are several deaths that happen, and death is very definitely a part of life, especially losing people that are close to us. Uh, there's a big family scandal that happens in here. There's, so there's all these like big life events that are happening in here. Uh, that's why I just named this changes. Or just, just all these changes that are happening, because that's what life is. Life is change. Right? There's things move on, things change. That's life. So we're gonna get into it here. Genesis chapter 35, verses 1 through 7. <coughs> Purification. Alright. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when he fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress. He has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. 
And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the name of the place El Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alambakuth. Okay. So in part of this being a bunch of life things that are happening, if you're if this is your first experience of the series, like you're lost. This is, feels like jumping in the middle of a, of a series that somebody's watching and you're going to turn to them constantly going, who's that guy? Why is he doing that? What is that a big deal? What was that moment? Why is that look? Right, those kind of things. We're jumping in the middle of the story. So that's the way the Bible's written. It's written it often in it, a lot of its narrative. The book of Genesis certainly is. A lot of people like to just pull a little ch chunk out and, and just focus on that, but you got to read the whole thing. Right, and that's what we're doing. That's why we're going through it this way. Um, and so we're jumping in the middle of this. And so if you if you haven't been with us, the very beginning of this is God calling Jacob back to his will. Jacob had spent 20 years. He had fled from. He had to leave home because he stole his brother's birthright, and his brother wanted to kill him. His brother Esau. So he fled to his uncle's house. And, and, and moved there and stayed there for 20 years. And there he got married and he had kids and he, and, he, and he gained a lot of wealth, all these things. And then God said, okay, it's time for you to leave, time for you to come back to the promised land. And so he called him back and told him to go back to the spot where he had appeared to him as he was fleeing. As he was fleeing from Esau, God appeared to him in Bethel. And God's like, go back to that place, that place that I appeared to you, where I promised you when you were terrified that everything was going to be all right that I was with you. And so he calls him back, but he doesn't come back. He does leave, but he doesn't come all the way back. He stops, specifically, most recently, in Shechem. And that's what we looked at last week was the consequences of him staying in Shechem, where some terrible things happened. And so now God is saying, okay, you've seen what's happened here. You've seen maybe why I wanted you in Bethel, not 20 miles north in Shechem, Come to exactly where I asked him to be. He's calling him back to as well. He always intended for Jacob to return there. We can see this if we look back at where he first has that appearance, where he first had that meeting with God in Genesis 28, 13 through 15. It says, Behold, the Lord stood above it, and there's a ladder. He's seeing a ladder to heaven, something that looks like a ladder to heaven. The Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring, all the families of the earth, be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So God had always, that's, from, that's where he first talked to Jacob as he's leaving, and telling him, like, hey, you're going to come back, I'm going to bring you back here. He had told him it from the beginning. So now he's calling him back to that, to his will, back to, like, hey, come on, let's, you've seen what's happened when you've tried to live outside of my will, when you've tried to just partly obey me, and not quite go all the way in listening to me. So now I want you to come all the way back. 
And so he, he repents, right? He, he introduces some repentance, not just for him, but for his whole family, for his whole camp. And he tells them to put away the foreign gods that were from, from among you. And again, if you've been following the story, some of those, here, here's, here's where those come from. Where, like, where do these foreign gods come from? What are you talking about? Well, some of them were the ones that Rachel stole. Right? She steals some and takes them with her. Some of them would be from the massacre that happened last, that we looked at last week in Chechen. Right? Because, his, because Jacob's sons murdered everybody in Chechen and plundered the place. So they would have had foreign gods, and both of them would be covered in gold and very precious metals and that kind of thing. So they would be valuable, so they take them with them. And so he said, let's get rid of these things. We don't need them anymore. He goes, very them. We're leaving them here. We're going to get this stuff out of here. And he also tells them, purify yourself. That would be a special washing ceremony, ceremonial washing that they would do. And change your garments. Also, like, let's get also rid of these garments. Let's make new clothes. Let's get fresh and clean and start new. <coughs> so if we look at this as being kind of indicative of what does repentance look like, what does it look like for us, in our own lives, we can kind of model this, right? If we've been living outside of God's will and been doing our own thing, he's talking about, okay, put away the things that you were relying on or the things that you were following. Get that stuff out of your life. Stop doing the thing that you were doing that you were trying to rely on instead of God. Sometimes that's just your own ability, your own strength, your own mind, your own wealth. But stop, get rid of that. Stop relying on those things. Put that aside and, and purify yourself. Get that, all that stuff out of your life and then choose and then come and follow me. But that's what that looks like. He's saying, and, and then come to where I have called you. We also see an interesting thing here is that he obviously was afraid of traveling to Bethlehem. We never really knew why did he stop, right? He didn't tell us before why did he stop in Chechen. He doesn't tell us. But here we get some, 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 some clarity on that. Because it says there in, um, in verse 5, as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. What does that tell you? It tells you that Jacob was afraid that those people would kill him if he tried to pass through their land. But if he got there, saw the cities and the peoples that were on the path from Shechem to Bethel, and went, that's scary. They might try to hurt us. So let's just stay here, where we're accepted, where we're safe. Let's stay here. And he didn't trust that God would protect him. So now he's saying, I'm going to face my fear I'm going to face this fear that I have and trust that God will protect me, and God did. And that often happens in our own lives. We're afraid of something, and so we don't move, or we stay where we're at. We're afraid of what might happen or what might happen to us if we take that step. And so we don't trust in God's protection, even if he's the one that's calling us to do that. And we choose to stay where we're at instead of trusting in his protection and his guidance and his will. And so he miraculously protects them on this 20-mile journey. And you notice also that he even specifically says that that's what he's going to do. Right? He says in verse 3, Let us arrive and go to Bethel, then make an altar there, so that God answers me in the day of my distress, and has been with me wherever I have gone. 
Right? He's reminding himself. He's reminding himself, like, hey, I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be afraid of taking my people down there. God has always been with me. He's always protected me. But even with the big things that we've seen that happened to Jacob, the big ways that God has intervened in his life and protected him and done all these amazing things for him, he still has this doubt. He still has this hesitation. And I think probably most of us can relate to that. Right? That we go, yeah, God has done things in my life. He's protected me. He's done things in my life that are miraculous. And yet I still have trouble tr- trusting him. Because it doesn't matter how big of a thing happens to you, you still have a new day that you have to trust. And you have to step out into that, into the danger that, that surrounds us. Right, the last thing we see in this passage is, is, is very interesting. Um, verse 8, where it says, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called his name Elam Beku. Now, you go, okay, wait, Deborah, there's a Deborah later on. That's not this one. Right? This is the this is the, the first Deborah that appears in the Bible. There's never that appears like in Judges, but this is not her. This is a different person. This Deborah was Rebecca's nurse. And you go, okay, why is this even mentioned? First of all, it's the first time her name is mentioned. Right? This is the first time that her name is mentioned. So who was she? Well, if we look back, if you look back at the record, right, she left, she left around Rebecca. Now, Maybe you're telling you her name. Rebecca is Jacob's mom. Rebecca is Isaac's wife. Or Rebecca is, is so Jacob's mom, maybe, left Haran with her. So she left Haran, came back to, uh, came back with Rebecca, lived there with her. Um, so she resided with Rebecca throughout her infertility and the birth of Jacob and Esau. She would have been there from the day they were born, would have very possibly nursed them, actually, been a man like a wet nurse. Um, and presumably now, again, this is the first time we're hearing of it in our narrative, but it seems that she traveled with Jacob back to Haran. Right? That's how he found his way back there, was that Deborah went with him. And he would, she would have been like a second mom to him. And especially after this amount of time, because he left his mom. Right during this time, and, and traveled back there with um, with her. She'd been like a mother to Jacob, like a grandmother to his children. That also she would have been there since the day they were born. She's an integral part of this family, a big time part of this family. And yet here is the first time that she's mentioned in the scripture. But she's been there through all of it. She's heard about every part of it. It's something that we forget. I think sometimes when we read read these stories. We only think about the people that are named. But often it's whole families, it's whole tribes, this big group of people that are going through this <coughs> with them. But they're going through it with the main characters. They're very much there. They're hearing everything that's happening. They've seen it all. They've been there along with them. Deborah's one of these people. But she's beloved. That, that name that he gives it, Al-Ambakut, means Oak of Weeping. That means that there was so much crying at her funeral, they named a tree after her. That's a lot. So in every story in Scripture, there are these main characters, but they don't act alone. Right? There are tertiary characters that are vital and important. And it's important for us to keep in mind because most of the time, most of the time, that's all we are. Right? Most of us, 
frankly, most of the people in the Bible are these tertiary characters. That's what most of us are going to be. Most of you know, I think I, I think it's probably just very American of us that we like read this story and we're like, oh yeah, I'm just like Jacob. I'm just like I'm like Abraham. I'm like Peter. I'm like Paul. I'm, I'm like these big characters. That's me. That's like my life. Like probably not. <laughs> probably not. Like that's very grandiose of you to think that. That again, you're just like Peter. You got it, man. You're big time. Right? No, you're probably like just one of the other guys. You're like the guy that's standing ne- nearby, watching the thing that's happening. And you're part of it. You're there. Like you're, you're part of it. Like, but so, somebody had to bring you to lunch. <laughs> right? like, that could be you. <laughs> so that's the thing is that like God is still like that's still a major thing. And even this this little note in here shows us how much she was vital to that. Like. How much she, how many, how many times, Jacob, think about how many times Jacob probably came to her for advice, came to her for guidance, for comfort, right? Especially in that, on that journey when she's, he's fleeing from home, going somewhere he's never been, she's going, it's okay, I've been there, this is my home, like, I, I know the area, I know the place, I know how to get there, we, we're going to be fine. Right? She's probably comforting him that whole way. She's there when he has the vision. Maybe she sees it too, I don't know. She's there all along, and that's often where we're at. All right, point number two, blessing and promise, verses 9 through 15. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padad Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob. Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from, the, from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it, and pour oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. Okay, just a couple things here. Right? God gives him a new name. He gives him a new name. That means uh, fights with God, or wrestles with God, or it's, it's really just the two words, like fight and God. And so it's, it's a little bit of interpretation, and I think it's intentionally that way, because there's a lot of different ways in which God and fight work with Jacob. Right? God literally fought, they literally wrestled, they had that wrestling match where he found out that, that, you know, that it was God after all. They wrestled all night. <coughs> so then that's a literal wrestling match that he had with God. But notice this isn't right after that. He doesn't rename him like immediately after that. He renames him after he does that and then these moves. About ten years later, they named him after that happened. Because God had been wrestling with him figuratively the whole time. But right? wrestling him to get back to Bethel, fighting him to get back there. And God also fought on his behalf. Right? God fought for him. Right? And so not only does, does he fight with God, but God fights on his behalf. And that's often what that's often true for us too. 
Right, that we, we want to we, we resist what God has for us. We struggle. We fight with God. Like, why are you doing this? Why would you make this happen in my life? Where we have a lot of we have a lot of problems with God sometimes. But God also fights on our behalf and fights for us and defends us. But these things happen as well. And so <clears throat> we see him fighting with God. We see him wrestling with God. But the important thing to keep in mind. And when we fight with God, is that when we fight with God, He always wins. Right? That's what happens here. When you fight with God, He always wins. He's gonna win. He's not worried about it. He's not worried about how much you're struggling. It's like it's like trying to get a toddler dressed, right? Like I've had to do that several times. I'm about to have to do it again. Like they all often like kick and scream and like they fight you, but like I'm like, what's a kid? I'm gonna win. Well, you're, not, you're not getting out of this room without the clothes that I intend to put on you. It's going to happen. Right? I'm way bigger and way stronger than you. I'm going to win this fight. And that's how God is with us. He's like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> right? Oh, you're going to resist me? That's, that's adorable. That's so cute that you think that you know better than me and than you. And that's, it's, it's hilarious sometimes with kids, with things we see with kids. Where they think they know better than you, or they think they're stronger than you, they think they can defy you in some way. Like, and we think oh, that's hilarious. Whenever that happens to me, I always think like, that's how God feels about me. Right? He's like looking at me like, this is hilarious that you think that you know better than me, or that you can fight, or that you can somehow win or change me in a way. Like, that's it's just not how it works. When you fight with God, He always wins. And notice again that God, God had fought with Jacob in order to give him good things. Or he was fighting him to, to bless him. He wants to give him good things. He wants good things to happen for him. And, and he has to fight him to do that. Consider whether that's what God has done with you. Is he having to fight you in order to give you good things, give you things that will bless your life? And so he gives him blessing. He reiterates the blessing that I had from the beginning, right? Be fruitful and multiply. That's God's original purpose for mankind. Flourish. He wants him to flourish, right? Be fruitful and multiply. Not just in terms of, like, have babies, but he's saying, in always, I want you to flourish. I want you to have this abundant life. And he also gives him promise, right? He says that nations will come for you. Kings will come from you. That's a familiar reference to Jesus, right? He's saying Jesus will come. He'll be king. He is ultimately the king that will come. There will be other kings that come as well, but that's the most significant thing there. He says, I'll give you the land to you and your offspring. And that promise is not, there's no time stamp on it. That's still coming. That's still happening. God will give the promised land to Israel. And he's reiterating these same promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac. Right? Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob is receiving the same promise that he had given him, this covenant that he had given to Abraham, that he will bless him, that he will be a blessing, that he'll give him the land, and that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that's ultimately us. We're ultimately blessed through Jesus. Jesus comes through this line. This is part of the gospel. This is a promise of the gospel. We think about <coughs> how are people in the Old Testament saved. But that's something that that I think some, a lot of Christians wrestle with. We go like, okay, well, yeah, Jesus is how I'm saved. Right? Jesus died for my sins, and if I believe in him, then he'll cleanse me, he'll give me, grant me that payment as my own, and I don't have to 
paid for my sins anymore, and I get to go and be in heaven with heaven, and he'll give me the spirit, and I can live, I can live with, through his power, and the most amazing thing, that's great, that's how I was saved. How do people get saved in the Old Testament, though? And they, they revert back, just they instinctually go like, well, I know, I know the Ten Commandments are in there. So probably they had to obey the Ten Commandments, and they did that perfectly, then they got saved. That's not how it works. 100% not ever in there at all. Never in there. But you look at these guys. Look at the guys that are studying. They're not perfect whatsoever. Right? We've seen that. There have been a lot of... Some of these messages have been rated off. Right? <laughs> Last week's not safe for work. Right? That's, it's not... It's not a clean thing. Right? It's not like, oh, look at this guy. This is a star, and he's so perfect, and that's why he's the guy we need to model ourselves after. Jacob's only redeeming quality is that he continued to come back to God. But it's his faith in God that carried him through. That's the thing that we were to admire. And the thing he believed in, the thing that these guys believed in, was the promise. They believed in the promise that was ultimately the promise of the Messiah. They're openly believing in the promise of the gospel. They're believing that God has a plan for mankind to, to give them these things, to ultimately save them. And that's the hope we have as well. We can't have hope in us being so good. We have to have, our only hope can be in God's blessing and the promise that he's given us in our lives of the gospel, that he has saved us, he's given us this free gift. All right, lastly, Rachel and Isaac, verses 16-29. They journeyed from Bethel, when they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had a hard labor. And when her late labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the Tower of Eder. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali. The sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, Gad, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Benon Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last, and he died and was gathered to his people old and full of days, and his son Esau and Jacob, his sons Esau and Jacob, buried him. Okay, again, there's a lot of things in here. Where like, if you didn't, if you've been following the story, like, it's big, big things in a simple sentence. And, and you see a lot of just like, boom, 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 thing, big things, big life events happening here. First we have Rachel's death, right? And Rachel, it's important to know, is, is the, the wife that, that Jacob always intended to marry. He's tricked into marrying Leah, and then through their baby wars of who can have the most babies, he ends up having these other wives, these other kind of sub wives uh, of their, their servants. 
So Rachel dies, the favorite wife, she dies in hard labor. And she names her son Benoni, which is son of my sorrow. Heartbreak. She's saying, son of my sorrow as she's dying. Jacob calls him Benjamin, son of my right hand, because he knows that kid doesn't need to carry around that weight. He's already going to know that his, that his mom died in childbirth, but to know that she named him son of my sorrow. That's a tough name to carry around. So she calls him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And so Rachel is buried in Bethlehem. Again, significant because Bethlehem is going to be the birthplace both of King David and also of Jesus. Where Jesus will ultimately be born in Bethlehem in this place where Rachel died. Significant. The other thing is, they talk about this pillar of Rachel's tomb. They say, which is here to this day. Which is there to this day. This phrase there, which is there to this day. And you see that, you go, okay, whatever, that's fine. But phrases like this are really important in terms of validating the historicity of Scripture. Right? That these are things that really happen. Because sometimes people try to say, oh, well, this is, it's fine, it's a great story, but it's just a myth. These aren't things that really happen. But things like this are markers to say, no, it's not. These kind of things aren't in there. When he says, hey, this, this pillar I'm talking about, it's there. You can go see it. Because the first people that would have read this couldn't have done that right, for hundreds of years after. They could have gone and seen it and go, oh yeah, there it is, it's real, there's the pillar. Right? So it's, it, validates, it validates the historicity of these events. Next, in, in one verse, right, verse 22, <coughs> we see it, it's like, it's such like a drive-by Verse where you're like, just, whoa, what happened? Right? He says, he's just moving on, like, okay, Israel journeying on, pitches tent. While Israel lived in that land, Reuben went in and lay with Philippi, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now, moving on, the sons of Jacob were like, what? Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. What? Yeah, Reuben slumped in the step on. We were like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Somebody just said, that's the, that's the right reaction. Right? And it's, it's not as simple as it appears. It still is gross, but it's not as simple as it appears. Right? It's not just that they somehow like fell in love or some like lustful moment. Right? Reuben and his brothers, Leah's sons, right, his full brothers, they're angry guys. Right? These are angry, these are men are full of anger in their life, and uh, for good reason. Right? They have good reason to carry around this anger because their father didn't really love their mother. Right? Isaac didn't love Leah as much as he loved Rachel. And so his father favored, favored Rachel over Leah, even though also Leah was older and the first and his, and his first wife. Um, remember last week, that's why they had to take up the cause of Dinah. After she's raped, they, they go kill everybody because Jacob wouldn't do anything about it. He didn't, he didn't have anything to say about the fact that she was raped. And so they have all this uh, built up in them of like, hey, our father doesn't care about our mom. We're, we're second hand in this family. We're second tier in this family. So it's likely that he seduced Bilhah, who was Rachel's servant, right? She's the one that's associated with Rachel. That he seduced her out of fear that she would take the place of Rachel as favored wife instead of Leah. But Rachel died, so then it's like, okay, well now who's going to be the favorite wife? 
and Reuben of what could easily become Bilhah because he associates her with Rachel. So I can eliminate her from contention by doing this. Right? He can do this and eliminate her from that contention because now he's not, she's certainly not going to become a favorite wife if he seduces her and sits with her. Now that's not possible. But it's not going to be the case. So that's what happens. He also loses his birthright as a result of this. First Chronicles 5 1 tells us the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, and this is a big parenthetical here. For he was the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's couch, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that he could not be enrolled as the oldest son. Right? He loses his birthright as a result of this action. But the thing that we should know here is that this is this is a, a kind of residual of, of Jacob's favoritism. Right? This favoritism that he had for Rachel and her children caused all these problems in their family. Right, caused the problems last week where these guys had to go and, and take up the cause of dying on, on their own. Um, and, and so this, and, and now with Reuben doing this again, it's all part of this, where they're going like, what, why are we not, why, are, why don't we have the love of our father the way that Rachel and her sons do? Why does our mom not have that love? Why do we not have that love? It's caused this devastation. It's really sin, right? This favoritism that he has here causes pain in his family's life. And it plagues his life the whole time. Right? That they have this residual. It's gonna cause more problems. Right? That's a little teaser for the next bit coming up. It'll cause more problems. Last thing we see, Isaac's death. Right? Isaac, Jacob's father, once again, uh, we see the generations moving on. Isaac's gonna pass away. Jacob's now the the guy. He's received the promise. Isaac's going to die. God's promises are living on through Jacob. It's again, turning the page. This is the next generation. And none of them have been perfect. Right? They, but they continue to follow Yahweh and continue to trust in the promises that he's given them. Alright, let's wrap up. How should we then live? How should we then live? Here's some possible takeaways that you might have from this passage. Like, what does this mean for, for my life? How can I apply these, these things to my life? Because it's it's not as easy, right? Some some parts of the Bible are very easy, where it's like instructive of like, hey, you do this, live in this way. And you go, okay, cool, I can do that. This is a story, so how do we apply it to our life? There's a couple of possibilities. Number one, uh, repent from partial obedience. Where we saw in the last two weeks, really, Jacob only partially obeying God. Getting close, but not quite there. And it caused problems. It caused problems. There were consequences. There were residuals from that that he had to live with. So repent from partial obedience. Go, God, I'm going to follow you all the way. I'm not going to hold back this bit anymore. Because that's what we do oftentimes, right? We go, like, okay, God, I'm going to give you my whole life, except this part. Or with this part, now this is kind of my thing. Don't you mess with it, so I'll put it over here. This is yours. Right? And that's not how, that's not what he's looking for. He wants all of it. And so give him the parts that you're holding back. Number two, consider where in your life you have or continue to wrestle with God. Where does God have to fight you? Over what parts of your life does God have to fight or wrestle with you about? And can you just surrender that to him and give that to him? Number three, uh, recognize God's grace in your life and admit the residuals of your sin. Right? There's always going to be consequences 
throw our sin out our face because sin causes pain. Sin is hurtful to other people. Right? Most most things are, are hurtful to people. <coughs> Some are just hurtful to other, most of those are, are have human consequences. And so when we have those, it, it causes residual. There's things that fall off from that that we have to deal with. And it can be really painful, it can last for years. Where we go, yeah, I see, I messed up here, and that has caused all of these problems in my family, or this caused all these problems in my life because I messed up here. And if God's forgiven me, how am I stop to deal with those consequences? Because it's natural fallout. Right? There's still grace, there's still hope, you can still redeem, but you still have to deal with that fallout. It's still, it's not going to miraculously go away. You still have to deal with it, still have to live in it, and can ask God's grace into it. Invite him into your mess. And he wants to be in it. He wants to be a part of your life, no matter how messy it is, how many stuff is going on there. And he wants to show you and guide you and show you here's how you can bring my grace, bring the gospel into your life in the midst of your mess. If you'd like to get a prayer for you after the service, we'll have our prayer team up here. Any of you things you can talk about, they would love to pray with you about. They can pray as confidentially as you want, if you want to be very vague. They're still great. They can they be happy to pray with you. I encourage you to come up and see them after the service. I encourage you to come tonight to our prayer meeting um, where we're going to pray for our, our community, our, our country, um, really the world, everything. We'd love to come get together and pray. Uh, it's really, doesn't have to be it's not intimidating. I encourage you to come out and, and give it a shot if you never have before. Six o'clock tonight. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day that you've given us. We thank you for the truth of your word that we see here in Genesis 35. And just the way that life moves forward, God, the way that <coughs> the, the big events of life that, that we can relate to, and go, yeah, those that kind of thing happens in my life. I can summarize my life in these big events, the way that it's summarized here. Um, and then and then you're in the midst of all of it, God. That you're working in all of it, that you care about it, even the mundane, the simple things that happen. Even those of us who are background players that are that are behind the scenes, that are not going to be the, the main character in the story, God, but are, are there and supportive and, and part of it, God, that you care about those people too. You care about them too, that they're part of it just as much as the main characters. So I pray for your blessing over this coming week, that you would be with us uh, wherever we go, that you would remind us of the things that we that you stirred up today uh, throughout the week that we can continue to be seeking you and sharing you with those we encounter. Did you all stand?